Hi, Graham. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm good. Thank you. Yep. Still uh, still enjoying the tail end of summer here in the UK and uh, some glimpses of optimism around the world as the, the pandemic situation continues to evolve. Some economies opening up, some countries going back to offices, um, but definitely a, a very flexible situation. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I feel like we are getting to back to some sort of normality and learning to juggle meetings and and going out. So it's uh, it's all all fun and games again. It's 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 great to have to have something normal, I would say. Um, but as always, we're still recording our Women in Payroll podcast, and it's great to have Natalie Turner um, joining us today, who is a group payroll manager at Lo- uh, London Stock Exchange. Um, so um, hi, Natalie. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mel. Hi, Graham. Nice to see you again. Hey, Natalie. Good to have you with us. Yeah, so I'm currently Group Payroll uh, Manager for the London Stock Exchange Group, which, yeah, so when I met you, I think I was still a payroll processor. So I've gone on to be a team lead and a manager, and I went into payroll consulting for a little while. I did a 14-month stint at Deloitte uh, consulting and and working for clients. And, yeah, now I'm Group Payroll Manager. So it's been quite a varied um, and progressive career. And it's always quite interesting to find out how people get started in in payroll and by the way shout out mel for payroll as an industry i think that's that's spot on i love the work you're doing uh there with the team but natalie how did you get started in in payroll well i think like most people it wasn't intended i think i was working as a secretary and i didn't really enjoy it It was a little bit boring after a couple of years and i went to a recruitment agent who said you know what would you like to do and I said I'd actually quite like to go back to college and study accounting because I love numbers I'm really statistically minded it's what I love it's what I should have done in the first place and she said oh I have a junior payroll job and I actually had to ask what payroll, <laughs> payroll was I was I think I was just it was a month before my 18th birthday so it was in 1999 and uh, yeah that I got that job and I've never really looked back so that was obviously a very junior role it was um you know really from the basics, keying timesheets, calculating overtime, etc. This was back when you couldn't put two hours overtime into a system and it calculated it for you. You had to work it out from somebody's hourly pay and stuff. So back when things were really, really manual, um, and that was for an electrical retailer called Tempo, who are no longer actually trading. So you mentioned there sort of keying timesheets and, you know, I think you used the phrase back in the day, which, um, you know, there's a breadth of, of, of payroll experience. And I think Mel referred to you as kind of an up and coming or or um, younger generation of, of payrollers, certainly if you're 18 in, in 1999. Um, but so talk me through a little bit about that experience of being a junior payroll specialist in, in 1999. I mean, was, it, was, there, was there a lot of preparation for the millennium bug or is that just, you know, not, not part of the discussions at that point in time? Oh, I, well, I guess actually I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I, I can't really remember that. I mean, I remember working in payroll. I had a great team. I had a great manager. But it was, it was as I said, so different to what it is now. So, you know, I, I remember at the beginning of each year, you know, just before the start of the tax year, we would receive from HMRC a whole suite of booklets Um and they would give you all of the updates. So you'd have um, a, a booklet specifically on statutory sick pay, statutory maternity pay, you know, the new tax bans and, and, and NIC tables, etc., um, which now are consolidated into very small detail on the HMRC website. Um, but, yeah, we used to have 
um, that booklets for each of those. Um, and we'd have to order two or three of those. So everybody in the team would have what, a set of those on their desk to refer to, you know, if we were unsure of something. Whereas now you obviously have everything all in one place on um, HMRC websites. You have payroll systems which do the majority of it for you now as well. Um, but I feel grateful that I can actually still do that and apply that manually and know where to go to get that information mm. rather than just being reliant on technology, particularly as we look at new technology and, and implementing new technology. And at start of tax years, when systems are reconfigured, these things can go slightly wrong. So I think it's good to have that, that knowledge. And, and I know that I've had this discussion with Mel a few times and, and other people in my payroll network about, you know, we're, we're starting to lose that kind of capability in people because they've only ever known a system to be able to do that for them, I, th I feel. Mm. So it's uh, that's a challenge that's I have when I'm recruiting anyway. And so were you you were using what Excel and, and, and manual processes or you were on a payroll software? It was just more limited in 1999 than today's products. Yep. We used a system which was called Cyborg. And I mean, I don't know what's ever happened to that. I've never, ever used it since. But it was just very manual. So it would calculate tax for you, obviously. Um, but, you know, now if, if I was to uh, place an employee onto, you know, some sort of parental leave, whether it was maternity or paternity, you would expect the system to be able to calculate the statutory piece for you. You can even configure them to um, calculate the occupational part as well, um, whereas back in 1999 or certainly on Cyborg, we couldn't. Hmm. And, and so how big a business was Tempo? How, how many employees were you were you paying and, and sort of what was the scope of the business? Um, so Tempo was an electrical retailer. So, you know, it's um, we had head office, which was a couple of hundred people, and then our shop staff, which was a couple of thousand people. Um, and you had the managers who were on a salary, um, you know, and they received a pension, et cetera. But then you had most other shop staff were hourly paid. So it was numerous timesheets, paper timesheets that used to come through on a fax machine. We don't have a fax machine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um and then, then individuals would ring up and, and confirm that you'd received them because obviously every now and then perhaps a fax wouldn't go through and people missed out on overtime or actual their actual, you know, their hours that they had worked. Um so yeah, it was just sort of thinking about that so different to to um to now. Um, was it how did you learn? payroll so you came in as a junior payroll specialist was it just by copying the people around you or did the company have a training scheme how did how did you sort of learn how to do the job um my manager was really hands-on actually she took me through every process um you know the basics of the timesheet where you took somebody's hourly bait from um you know the, the calculations which obviously I could work the calculations out myself um, I remember documenting everything. I, I, I do love this sort of work and I remember being really eager and I documented everything. I had it all colour coded in this book, which um, we I remember having a, a process improvement guy join us and he was looking at our systems and stuff. Um, and when he came across all of my notes, literally was so amazed. It was pretty much like a full SOP of how to process the payroll. And now I associate that with an SOP. But for me, it was just natural to write everything down so I asked as few questions as possible the next month mm. um, and it became our reference point and, and, and training documents for people moving forward. Mm. And so how long did you stay in that role and 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 how did you grow in that role or did you have to move organisations to grow? 
I did have to move organisations. And actually, it was my manager put me forward um, to, to a friend of hers who was working for a company called Surrey Free Inns. Um, and they were um, they owned about 60 pubs um, across the UK, like pubs and nightclubs. And they were implementing, so this was quite a big jump, they were implementing a new payroll system. I, I mean, it was some years ago, and I forget which system that was, but it had um, a time and attendance system with it as well. Um, so they paid a couple of thousand people weekly. So their all of their bar staff were paid weekly. Um, and then they had a small monthly payroll. Um, and yes, my manager at Tempo actually said, you know, she was quite open. Was like, you know, you can succeed, but you aren't going to succeed here because there's nowhere for you to go. You know, no, there's no, nobody's leaving. And, you know, it was a small team. There were only um, three of us on the payroll team. And then we had the process improvements person. And she said, this opportunity would be great for you. Um, you know, you'll get to learn a lot more. And obviously I did. And I was able to use the knowledge that I'd learned and I think it was a realization for me for how much I had learned so when you're implementing a new system you know you're we were we were going around training all of the the pub managers on the time and attendance system how their employees would clock in and clock out testing that data feed to our payroll system confirm you know testing whether the calculations were running through correctly but even down to, you know, just doing a few spot checks on is the tax and NI calculating properly? What happens if we put somebody on sick leave, et cetera, et cetera? So that was a really interesting role. And I did really enjoy that there. But then uh, for me, I was still quite hands on and, and sort of needed things to do. It it also then sort of made the role with a, not so much redundant, but it, it did change a little bit because, um, you know, I was used to processing um, about 3,000 pe- timesheets weekly you know Monday and Tuesday were literally spent keying timesheets on top of that um working on this project and you know for the rest of the week traveling around the country training people but then the time and attendance um tool was so um successful that you know we were getting a data feed in on a Monday morning and it was processing the payroll so um yeah so then I did actually move on from there once everything went went live and and that's Really quite interesting because there's a lot of discussion, you know, what, what was then automated time and attendance grows into, you know, automated payroll and robotic process automation and AI and machine learning. So in in, in your world, getting back that time translated actually to the job being less interesting to you because then the challenge was pretty much accomplished and there wasn't another task to do with that time. You then had to go to another organization for the next stretch. Was that right? Yeah, and I think, again, something I suppose that's changed so much now is that was, you know, it was one company, albeit, you know, it was it was quite big for a weekly payroll. Now I think, you know, we look at, I, I, I for the last 10 years at least, maybe even longer, I've worked in global companies and in global roles. And actually, you know, freeing up capacity through automation just means you have the capacity to take on the next company that we acquire or, you know, the next the next project that we work on, whether it's, you know, um, a workflow tool, you know, implementing a workflow tool to do stuff. So um, then it was such a settled role. But yeah, for me, it just became a bit um, like, actually, there's not much to do. This is all happening in itself. And I, I didn't feel like I was learning. 
I was still very young. I'd probably be quite happy for the time now. <laughs> I was going to say, have you, have you ever looked for quite back? Quite a nice, easy job now. <laughs> yeah, have you, have you ever looked back and thought, I wish I could still be doing manual <laughs> processing of of timesheets, three thousand timesheets Monday and Tuesday? <laughs> no, and and also, you know, automation I think is key, and I'm a real um, advocate of of automation, but still there's just never a dull moment and, and that's sort of the way I've always liked to work you know there's there's always something to do I'm always sort of back to back and really quite busy which is what I like um so um yeah I mean whilst it was positive and it was a great experience for me still so young I mean that was only I was only at my first in my first job for two years before I moved on to that role so it was still quite early in my career to have you know um so much experience um under my belt Hmm. And what do you think was key to being given that trust so early on? I mean, it clearly helped that you had a manager who who put you forward and recommended you for not only progression inside the first organization, but actually your move to the second. But what were the skills that you showed? What could people learn from that experience? I think overall in payroll, I think it's, um, you know, the analytical skills and, and the numerical skills, but also the commitment and dedication you know it is not a nine to five ever um that something will always come up that will mean you need to stay behind you know it is it, if i think well, it's five o'clock I, I i'm going home and the backs file hasn't been approved that results in people not being paid um you know it so i think that as well again at such a young age when things were going wrong or, or things were being delayed through no fault of the payroll teams team um then I would be staying behind and, and helping and, and doing my bit. And I think just the fact that I enjoyed it so much and, and that was probably quite noticeable. Um, yeah, and my numerical and, and analytical skill set is, is is very good. So I was, you know, I, I was good at the job, but I was always also very keen to do it and just keen to learn and, and, and take on more and more work. So really strong grounding in the the theory and the practical application of of payroll and I, I've got a mental picture of you second guessing the new software that you're you're implementing just to check it's working because you can do it manually to to verify um so that's in the UK market how did you begin to get exposed to global payroll so that was that was a few years on um so fast forward a little bit and I'd worked for a, a UK payroll vendor etc and then I went into banking um, I was at Bear Stearns for a short amount of time. and Unfortunately, they then obviously went bust. And I moved on to Barclays Capital, which is around when I actually met um, Mel. So that was back in about 2008 yeah. that I joined there. And that, that, that was a role where I, I was first introduced to Mel. And whilst we only were responsible for processing the UK and the Channel Isles, um, we worked on a large um project um, a global uh, 1HR project which brought a lot of my global colleagues to the UK um, and we went through numerous workshops trying to um, design global processes um, you know and a global framework for um, these automated processes that we that, that we were trying to roll out and I just learned so much from there I'm quite inquisitive so you know, we'd be talking about something as basic as overtime, but then my US colleague would go into, you know, the detail of the FLSA rules in, in the US and what that meant for him and different state rules, et cetera, et cetera. And I just picked up a lot from there. 
Um, I had actually never run, um, even when I left there, I'd still never processed any global payrolls. And then I went on to join um, London Stock Exchange. Uh, actually, I had a, I had a 14-month break from processing payrolls and I was a payroll consultant at Deloitte. Um, and obviously looking at global aspects there. But I then went into London Stock Exchange um, as international payroll manager and I was responsible um, straight away. I took on um, all of their uh, global payrolls except for the UK. Um, and this was really just I was able to process those based on the knowledge that I'd learned from other people. Um, and obviously from support from my new manager there, who, again, was really committed to teaching me as much as he knew. Um, but again, within a few months, you know, I was running the US payroll, you know, on my own without support anymore. And I've gone on to train other people on it. So um, I kind of, again, I suppose it's a little bit lucky that that this role came up. Um, I think it's always been a bit right place, right time. But but again, I, I, I do take, I absorb the information that people tell me when it relates to payroll. I am a bit of a payroll geek, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, and and the role that you moved into, if you'd spent a period of time out of processing, looking at the, the theory and consulting, advising and, and developing uh, payroll concepts, was the role at, at London Stock Exchange to, to run a steady state or was it to make changes and innovate just curious about the brief as you came in it, both actually so um they were going through a lot of change they were um deploying to a, a shared service center for a lot of their hr processing they just implemented a new um uh, a new hris system so there was a lot of change happening um, and a lot of change needed to happen to simplify and streamline their global payrolls but I was also responsible for the, the end-to-end processing, you know, and keeping this that steady state. So it was a very, it's a very full-on job, and it's um it's always been a very busy job, but very, very interesting. And again, the opportunities to learn, um, the opportunities that I've been given to learn, um, again, have been fantastic and again just helped me develop further and further. And and it's interesting, Mel. We've we've heard this a couple of times from guests on the on the podcast that it's hard to separate the transformation from the day-to-day because payroll has to happen and it has to be flawlessly executed every month and you have to almost change the engines whilst whilst flying the plane. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, and also, you know, the best project manager or best project team in the world, unless they get right into the detail of payroll, you can have a fantastic overarching strategy, but actually once you start to get into the detail, it might not work. Um, and so sometimes it does help to have that same team working on the transformation. Some people, you know, are happy just sort of plodding along and, you know, don't look for these opportunities or just don't think about it. Not everybody has, you know, both skill sets. Um, and actually they're useful in transformation because you know they're going to keep that ship steady. Um, but then you have other people who are always looking for opportunity to, you know, simplify and improve um, improve these things based on having done process over and over again um and then you know the realization of new technology or or just that perhaps you know it's a different set of eyes looking at it and realizing we can do this a little bit quicker and and more efficiently so not so just quicker you know still mitigating risks etc and what what particular challenges 
did you experience in moving to that HR shared services model? Or maybe not challenges. What what tips would you offer someone looking at that same challenge now? Um, I think I think it's really understanding the responsibility of a shared service centre. It is similar to when you have a payroll provider, when you, when you outsource your payroll, you know, what are they responsible for? It's um, And they're not necessarily HR people. They're there to complete the transactional um, repetitive processes. Um, and I think keeping a retained team of SMEs, you know, who understand the actual company policies, who understand statutory and keep themselves up to date with these rules as well, I think is key. Um, you know, generally the shared service centres, when I've worked with them, if we have used them really just to um, utilise that resource for um, the, the, the repetitive transactional um, processes, you know, transferring a new joiner from one system to another and copy and pasting that either into a template to upload it um, or, or, you know, running the, the automated files that do that, that don't take a, a full-on payroll specialist who has, you know, global statutory knowledge to do that. And and you mentioned earlier um, when we were talking, it, almost in contrast to your grounding in the manual process and the way things were done, how the skills in payroll are changing and some of the challenges you're finding in terms of looking for, for talent. So does an HR shared services mitigate that challenge or does it bring another layer of complexity because you've got another group of people in another place who are doing one part of the process but not all of it i'd be really interested in your thoughts and experience around that and about payroll talent more broadly in terms of the current job market and finding good people yeah so i don't i don't think um i don't think having a shared service center mitigates that that risk so you know they what they may do is take a, you know, a report from our HRIS system and for our smaller locations populate um, an instruction template um, for the respective provider. You know, it doesn't take someone with payroll knowledge to do that. You're pretty much copying and pasting the data across. We have everything fully mapped and documented so it's understood. Some locations you can actually run reports which come out in the exact format that the vendor requires. Um, but actually validating the payroll, um, you know, ensuring the start of year that none of our, you know, statutory payments have, have gone askew or, or any of the calculations or, or the configuration has gone wrong. Um, and it's it's actually finding that that sort of capability for people to be able to do that sort of um, calculation and, and that sort of thought process about thinking about how things can go wrong because they've sort of grown up in a, in, in times where everything is so system driven, they're just so reliant on it. Um, they haven't had to learn it from scratch or as a day to day. You know, I was doing that month in, month out to, to get the payroll processed. Yeah, and Mel, this is something we've we've touched on a couple of times in terms of skills development. And I know, you know, with payroll as an industry, you're advocating for for you know, a higher profile for the for the payroll industry. Um, do you think, and this is a question to both of you actually, do you think there is a, a challenge in terms of how payroll is seen as a, a career um, for bringing new talent in? I, I think uh, there is a challenge, uh, Nasir, I don't, don't know if you agree. We, we've we started to um, work on the apprenticeship scheme and we've had 
uh, like the younger generation joining. And um, I just, the same as you, Natalie, all those years ago, that they don't necessarily understand what payroll is, you know, um, and and does payroll look glamorous? You know, it's all these different things that actually do people know what payroll is and actually how, how does payroll look from the outside? Does it look like an industry that, the younger generation would want to join um so I think we've got a lot of work really to to start changing the look of the industry from the outside um Leslie what what do you think I completely agree I completely agree and actually you introduced me to a lovely lady once and I think I've met her a couple of times now actually I'm sure she was from Sweden oh yes and she said that they actually it, you know, it's a qualification. You can go to college. Oh, so after you left school, you can go to the, you know, further education and actually study it. Mm. Sim- you know, the same as studying to become an accountant. And, you know, it's so much more highly recognised, uh, which I think is, you know, fantastic. Um, I mean, it takes me to a point where I feel like even as a teenager, it would be advisable just to teach us at school about tax and national insurance you know and not pensions when you should start paying into a pension etc etc and get us life ready let alone it actually being a a recognized uh, qualification I know that the CIPP do things and stuff you know but it's not you know to actually go to college and do an A-level in it or 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 even further degree uh, further education than that. Yeah and I, I think there's there is a lot of work and it would be good for us to look at how Sweden do it you know how how have they achieved it because it's still very new for them but they've they've achieved it in um you know having the colleges in in a short time but also the other thing is that a lot of people are saying we need to go to the schools and colleges to talk about payroll now and I think actually that's changed because of social media I actually think the younger generation would look more on their mobile phone and take more notice if they see posts on Instagram or Snapchat or you know I don't know what other things that you'd potentially use and I think actually do we need to now start looking at educating the younger generation in the in the way that they're going to take interest um and there are there, there are so many aspects of the payroll industry that are glamorous you know Natalie I'm sure you've traveled to different countries doing your job and yeah. you know, and I don't think people necessarily understand that there's travel or you can work abroad. There are so many opportunities. Yeah, and you just you just get to learn. I think, you know, when I when I was younger and, and first out in payroll, you're so blinkered by you know what the HMRC do and our employment policies and stuff. And, and as you start to work for global companies and understanding, you know, the different employment laws in different countries and they vary as you know vastly I just find it really interesting you know you don't you can it could be a nine to five if you you know if you were lucky other than sort of in peak week you know if you worked for a small local company or you could have a career that is just continually continually progresses you know I've met people who have progressed and progressed until the day they've retired and that's past retirement age as well so you know, they just continue to enjoy a career and learn for their whole life. So it's, it is actually really interesting. And um, we, Sorry, Mel, we may, we may not have asked. Obviously, based in the, the UK, Natalie, I think we touched on that. But how many countries are you now responsible for? And actually, how many of them have you had an opportunity to, to perhaps visit in your role? And as I say that, I realise we're still in COVID with various restraints. So this, this may not be the best period of illustration. No, but. I've, unfortunately, uh, travel has come to a standstill. But yeah, I've been to, with different across a couple of different countries, I've been to at least three other locations. You know, 
I, when I was at a previous company, I worked actually in Geneva um, for a couple of months. So I actually had the opportunity to live there short term, which was obviously really interesting. Um, and, you know, again, get to understand Switzerland's quite an interesting uh, jurisdiction because where we were based um, in Geneva, um, they sort of share some of their rules with France, depending on if you lived in the, if you were to live in the Alps and stuff. So really good learning curve. I have a team in Romania, so I've been there a few times to Bucharest, um, which, again, is really interesting. And you get culturally get to know different teams as well, which is, again, for me, interesting. Um, and then I've also been lucky enough to have been to Sri Lanka um, and I was there for a couple of weeks again and I have a team there. Um, and, yeah, just to understand their ways of working and um you know how they work culturally together um as well as you know the work that we were doing together the training them the you know handing over work from our shared service center and going through all of the documentation and and, and training sessions so yeah it's, it's not just processing payrolls on a you know I obviously don't process payrolls anymore um you know I'm looking at it from a strategic perspective and I'm involved in the training and making sure we're resourced and stuff but um it's, yeah, it's been been interesting, and 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 if COVID hadn't have hit, I certainly would have travelled quite a lot more last year. Um, so, yeah, that's just unfortunate, really. And so, on the subject of the pandemic, and we've recorded a number of these through the the pandemic. Um, what have been the impacts on your team, and how has it changed, if it has, the way you, you work? Um. I think if we take the positives from it, you know, it's made us realise that, that we can be much more flexible as employers. So we've always had flexible working for as long as I've been at the London Stock Exchange. So I'm, we are lucky. Um, you know, I have somebody on my team who's always worked one day a week from home so that he can support with childcare, which is good because, it, you know, it enables his wife, um, you know, to be able to work as she wants to as well. Um, but I think it's made us realise that actually we can be a bit more flexible um, the negative is, you know, yes, BAU has continued, you know, our um, our accuracy rating hasn't dipped at all, um, which is um, fantastic. But sort of have we progressed and developed at the rate we were as a team previously, you know, continuous improvements and pieces like that? No, I don't think we have. I think we missed the face-to-face -face contact in that respect. I think you know, from my perspective, I could be sitting in the office and overhear a conversation and realise, actually, I'm a key stakeholder in this. And, you know, I should be involved in this. And But unfortunately, those conversations aren't happening in an office anymore. So you're not overhearing and becoming part of that conversation and that change journey. So it's that, that I have found a little bit difficult. And we are now starting to encourage people to go back to work um, only two or three days a week um, and then the other two or three days from home. So I think it's quite a good balance for people still. But I really think we'll start to see a little bit more development, um, people and team and, you know, just development of, of, of the function again. Mm. And, it, and it's clear there have been perhaps one or two key leaders who've had a real impact on, on your career. Um, what did you take from those individuals that you're now trying to practice yourself as a, a manager, particularly in the current situation? I think being, you know, being fair with people, um, you know, everybody's got a story, everybody's got a reason, you know, I know that often we'll hear, 
you know, well, I've got I've got children at home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then you have to think about the people that have no one at home and they're there on their own, locked up, you know, for weeks on end. Um, so it's just trying to balance out and be considerate for everybody's, you know, feelings and, and and problems. You know, I don't think I don't think having children running around whilst you're trying to work is a bigger problem than being on your own or vice versa. But I think we have to realise that they're both difficult circumstances mm. and, and we just need to be considerate of one another's um, surroundings or, you know, or, or circumstances at the moment. Mm. And I think particularly in the context of global payroll and global teams, it's recognising perhaps different countries are in a different place at different times. So some people are out yeah. socialising and others are in, in their second or third or fourth uh, mm. lockdown. And, and you know, that global perspective, um, certainly as, as part of a global team myself, it, 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 you see different team members go up and down depending on what's happening in their country. Exactly. And and also from a payroll perspective, you know, whilst obviously there are much more think, important things in the end than, you know, payroll, equally, you know, we're, there was, a, there was a, a real spike, obviously, in India. And, you know, we have payroll vendors who are based out of India and they don't just pay Indian payrolls. You know, um, there's a lot of shared service centres in India. And obviously, then you have that concern is, well, do we need to start thinking about a plan B, uh, you know, without and how do you put that to somebody who's leading your team at, at your payroll vendor? You know, we are very concerned about the welfare of whoever is working for ADP and whoever is, you know, out there. But equally, we need to ask the question of, you know, do we need to panic? And actually, do we need to get these payrolls processed elsewhere? Um, fortunately, um, most of the HR, uh, m- most of the shared service centres and the companies out there that that, that operate on, in that kind of model had already sent all of their employees home um, to massively reduce the risk. You know, of I guess if one person gets it, they could take out the whole office. But it, it's, it's having those sorts of conversations and thinking about that as well. You know, watching the news and thinking, how can this impact me? Whilst yes, I'm at home locked up in England, what impact is that having on on on, on me and my what I need to think about um, to keep keep the the function afloat Mm. and i and i do you know on on reflection as as we look back the whole industry the whole economy how effectively it switched to a work from home model i mean from an adp perspective sixty thousand people working from home in the space of a couple of weeks after the the decisions were made um and I, i just if it had to happen so much better that it happens now when the technology is there to support these things can you imagine what this would have been like 10 or 20 years ago yeah I have so if we go back to 1999 we would have had to have gone into the office and actually I don't know if you know this payroll was um on the list of key workers so on the first list of key workers people who were given the right to go into an office payroll was on that list we weren't classified as a key worker when it came to things like the vaccine and stuff um, but we were originally, um, and that probably tells me that, you know, HMRC's payroll department or the government's back payroll departments are probably a bit behind and still process, have, have a lot of paper processes. Thankfully, um, at the back end of 2019, we removed all paper processes from our payrolls globally and very quickly in a couple of months implemented paperless processes, you know, where we have a suite of folders in each country of stuff to input once it's input it gets moved to be checked and then once it's been checked it gets moved to another folder and it gets initialed by whoever completes those tasks 
Um, and so you can quickly look in the input folder at the before the payroll goes to make sure everything's been completed. Um, and that was just coincidence. It's something I'd been moaning about for a good couple of years and sort of put my foot down. I said, this really needs to happen now. And we really worked with, I, I had a new a new recruit. And I think that they're always quite eager to, to make change. And, you know, they aren't bogged down with the BAU like everybody else is. Um, and they led it for me. And within two months, and it was February 2020, so a month before we went into lockdown. <laughs> what <Goodness>. impeccable timing. <laughs> Otherwise, we would have had to have gone into the office because no one person can take that folder of paperwork home because what if they can't do it the following month? Um, but I do I do have friends in my payroll network who did have to go into, through pay, 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 uh, processing, they have had to go, go into the office throughout the whole pandemic. So quite a remarkable couple of years for you in terms of the process changes, moving into a global role, um, and then carrying the business through this pandemic and maintaining that payroll accuracy that you you touched on. So curious as you look ahead and you think about the evolution of the industry, and we talked earlier about technology in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, and now we're talking about AI and machine learning. Uh, how do you see the payroll profession developing? Um, that's, that's a difficult question. Um, as I said, I'm a real advocate now for automation and AI and robotics and stuff. Um, but it's actually ensuring that we have the capability, um, for individuals to actually understand the configuration. Um, I think some people, I think in the past have thought, you know, well, this actually becomes a technical piece this is more IT and it is but you can't then expect an IT person to understand tax calculations you know so I think it's quite a niche and specific IT role or or role um or is it just still separated into you know payroll and and IT um and as myself and Mel have mentioned is you know I really think some sort of payroll qualification and actually you know early on um when when uh, we leave school that people actually learn it then and can then go into the workplace and apply it in in different capacities whether it's processing a payroll configuring a payroll etc cetera, etc cetera. um but they're definitely i think in the next probably not so distant future we're going to start to find a real gap in the market for um that that sort of talent natalie what why do you think people are scared or not keen to adopt automation RPI, RPA and API? Um, and, and that's a good question. And a lot of people um, still are. I think, um, you know, mo- a lot of people in payroll, um, actually, you know, we we like to have control over things. It's probably, I don't know whether it's just, you know, you're already quite a sort of that sort of person or whether it's just something that you learn if a mistake happens and you think, you know, you're not going to get burnt again. Um, so I think people think, well, I know if I'm keying it in, I'll key it in correctly. However, and it's been proven, you know, human error, error is easier to happen, actually. Um, and, and, you know, automation does rem- mitigate a lot of that risk um, from a process. I wonder if people think, well, actually, you know, this is my job and I don't want to develop. Um, and, you know, therefore, it will make my role redundant where it doesn't always, as long as the person develops within that role, you know, and, and evolves with the changes, um, there will be work there. It will just be in a completely different capacity as, at the moment. But you do, you know, through any sort of change, 
you know, and, and again, since sort of 2008, I've worked on some quite big um, change uh, projects. And the biggest issue is always people. It, it's it's the biggest, you know, we they, people resist change. Um, whether they do in, in, in other industries or other roles, I don't know. But um, certainly in payroll, you do get it a lot. And whether it's just because people think, well, you know, it's working, why break something? Um, or just the trust of, of of technology, I'm not sure. Do do definitely come across it quite a lot. I don't know if any of your other networks do. Yeah, we, we've been talking about it a lot, actually, over the last few weeks. And um, in one of the surveys we run um, just recently, there's a, there's a, an indication that a lot of people don't actually understand what, what it means, what automation is, or RPA, API, what, what that actually means. Um, and then obviously they're not adopting it, but they also think potentially that they're going to lose their job. So um, I think there needs to be an education piece. We, we ran quite a lot of um, educational uh, seminars about it about five years ago. And actually we should have just carried on. You know, it wasn't just five years ago that great people are going to understand it. Um, it's something that, you know, I think as with as a GPA, maybe we need to start talking about it more so that people understand what it actually means. Um, so I think that's one of the, the key issues with it, but it's so important. And as you say, um, your role does change, but actually you're not doing necessarily the mundane parts of the job. You're yeah. doing more interesting things because of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I completely agree. And I think it would be a really good topic to continue. Mm. It's certainly an area where the technology continues to develop as as well um, and develops at a pace driven not just by the payroll and HR tech industry, but what's happening in the broader AI and machine learning landscape. And, and so, Mel, I, I, I agree. I think it's a, it's a constant education. I think, Natalie, that's one of the things that, that comes across in this conversation is just that natural sense of continuous learning and curiosity that has been quite central by the sounds of it to your success as a as a payroller um constantly learning constantly looking at the next thing yeah yeah so i think that's a, that's a great uh, we're coming up on on time so that's a great sort of takeaway um we always try and kind of wrap up of either you know what would you say to your younger self or what tips would you offer someone coming into the industry now um if, if we take that kind of curiosity as, as, as one thing, curiosity is going to yield dividends, keep being curious. What other two tips would you share um, with the audience or if you were talking to your younger self? Um, I think, you know, um, grasp the opportunity to learn, uh, learn and develop, definitely. Um, what else? Uh, somebody coming in actually, and I, this I should be able to think about this because I, I, a couple of years ago I did recruit somebody who's you know quite early on in a career. She's in her early twenties, lucky thing. And you know, I think one of my tips to her throughout actually the certainly the early days was be honest. You know, if you if a mistake is made, if you, if you identify a mistake, whether it's you who identifies it, whether it's an employee who calls up, just be honest with me. You know, the sooner we I know about it, the sooner I can help you fix it. You know, and again, if you, I remember the first time I ever identified my own error, so the employee hadn't called up yet. Um, I, I think the backs file may have gone, but I, um, the employee hadn't yet been paid, and just I don't know something. The penny dropped, and I realised I'd made a mistake when I was looking back at something. 
you know, it's just raise that with your manager. And, that, and, and that's something I've said is, you know, just tell me because it's also better if we reach out to the employee and say, hey, look, there's been a problem. We're fixing it. And you will, you know, you would be paid correctly, perhaps by payday or, you know, or the day after or something. They appreciate it much more than looking at their bank account on payday, it being completely wrong. And they then have to raise that query with you. And then they're sort of threatened, you know, has my tax code trained? You know, what has happened? So that would probably be be my key tip as well. Not that we often make mistakes and my accuracy rating and my team is absolutely fantastic. Um, but unfortunately, they do happen, whether it's through any fault of our own or not. No, and I think every, every person, payroll or, or otherwise, will remember that horrible feeling in your stomach when you just <laughs> click send on an email that you thought, I wonder if I was supposed to be sending it to that person or something similar. Um, So, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, everybody makes mistakes at some point. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I think that's absolutely fabulous advice. So be curious, be honest, and then grasp the opportunities as they come to you. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think the combination of those first two probably helps drive more opportunities into your, your pathway. It certainly sounds like it has done for, for you, Natalie. So Mel, I think, we're coming to the end of time it's been absolutely fantastic to 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 chat with you natalie this podcast is made possible by adp global payroll giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert